live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Huge news, at least for Yankee fan, because it got to be a real touch-and-go situation over the past 24 hours, didn't it, Yankee fan? In fact, it looked for a moment like Aaron Judge was actually gonzo, like he was a goner, because there was a since-deleted tweet from John Heyman last night that sent Twitter into an absolute mouth-foaming frenzy. The tweet read, and I quote, Arson Judge appears headed to the Giants. End of tweet. No, I did not misspeak, nor did I misread that, nor did I misremember. That was the exact tweet. Quote, Arson Judge appears headed to the Giants. And that sent social media wild for a couple of pretty obvious reasons. Number one, it seemed like enormous news. Number two, well, because of arson, judge. Turns out arson, judge, apparently is not Aaron Judge. They're different dudes. Arson, judge, is some other cat who appears to be headed to the Giants. Because Aaron Judge is not going there. Maybe arson is... But Aaron is staying put. Aaron, officially this morning, is still a member of the Yankees. My dude, the immensely talented John Morosi, broke the Aaron Judge news earlier today. And my initial response was the only reasonable response to a story like that. Oh, my goodness gracious. Oh, my goodness Of all the dramatic things I've ever seen. I mean, big news, right? But the real juicy part of this story, of course, is the terms. Because you have to remember how, in fact, we got here in the first place. Because the Yankees lowballed the hell out of arson last offseason. And then Judge turned around and jammed it up their backside when he had the single greatest contract season in the history of sports. That was the single greatest FU tour to our front office that we have ever seen. The Yankees' final offer comes in at a reported eight years, 200. No, actually, check that. Their initial offer, their initial final offer was eight years, 230, or eight years, 212, or eight years, 213 and a half. Regardless, somewhere in that low ball area. I've seen another, a number of numbers. However, the final deal comes in nine years. 360 mil. So what we're talking about here is an added year and somewhere upwards of 130 mil or even more than that. Is that any good? The initial offer would have paid him around, I don't know, depending on the number you believe again, 29 mil per, which would have made Judge the 18th highest paid player in baseball. So you've got one of the biggest stars on the biggest franchise in the sport, and they're offering this guy, a homegrown guy, a guy who will end up in the Hall of Fame and maybe with a monument. They were offering to make him the 18th highest-paid player in Major League Baseball. So, of course, he did what he did. He didn't even counter. He just said, no, no, I'm good. No, no, no. So the final offer, the one he did agree upon, is going to pay him 40 mil per and make him the highest-paid position player in the history of the sport. That outrageous season that he just had made him about 
10 or 11 mil more per year for the next nine years. Again, is that any good? Again, have you ever seen a guy make a bigger bet on himself and cash a bigger ticket? The ultimate bet on himself. My man is sprinting to the window right now with that winning ticket to cash it. And apparently, incredibly, he could have gotten even more. Because according to another Morosi tweet this morning, quote, indications are Aaron Judge turned down higher offers elsewhere because he wanted to remain a Yankee. The all-time AL home run king is staying in the Bronx, end of quote. So essentially, Judge cashed the ultimate bet on himself, and he also saved the Yankees from themselves in this process. He carried them on his back all summer long, when he could have been really bitter about how they handled it. But that's not what he did. He carries them on his back all summer long, and now he saved their asses from the worst optics of all time. Because, let's face it, the Yankees had to get this deal done. The Yankees could not let one of the single biggest stars in the sport, a homegrown superstar, the consummate Yankee who just hit 62 bombs to become the AL home run king. The Yankees could not let that dude walk. That franchise could not have that player go to another franchise, nor could they have their consummate, homegrown, historic Yankee superstar choose the Giants or the Padres over the Yankees in the midst of his prime. Can you imagine? You want to talk optics. One thing to let this guy get away. One thing to let this guy get away to the Padres who took a big swing, the Giants, where he's a California native. I mean, that's all bad enough, as much as I like those two franchises. But can you imagine if they let this guy get away and Judge walked two days after Brian Cashman was extended? I mean, don't get me wrong. We all know how important it is to make sure that Cashman is taken care of. We all know that Cashman is the number one priority in the Bronx. Everybody understands that. Never mind the fact that he has produced one championship in the last two decades. Never mind the fact that he butchered the hell out of this negotiation with the team's most important player since number two. Forget that Cashman and the Yankees just played themselves and got absolutely owned by Judge. I mean, again... The hell were they even thinking in the first place in lowballing this dude and then making it even worse by leaking those numbers to cover their own ass and make Judge look even worse? Has a negotiation between an elite franchise and one of its most important players ever, a homegrown future Hall of Famer, ever been handled worse than the way the Yankees handled that initially? So no. No credit for getting this deal done. You did what you had to do, but didn't do what you should have done so much sooner. You're just lucky that this is a stand-up dude who saved you from yourselves and didn't jam you like so many others would have. And as far as Cashman goes, you imagine they sign up Cash for four more years and then Judge could have walked 48 hours later? Would have been a total disaster. Basically would have been like taking a flamethrower to the Yankee brand. As bulletproof as that Yankee brand is, that would have done some irreparable damage to that same brand. That would have left a hell of a mark. 
No way you live that down. We let homegrown Aaron Judge, who just hit 62 bombs, get away. But it's all good, Yankee fan, because we signed homegrown Brian Cashman instead. So in a way, that John Heyman tweet was actually almost accurate. Judge choosing the Giants would have made him arson judge. But instead, Aaron Judge decided to take less and save the Yankees from themselves. Man, they are lucky. Never has anybody been so lucky to overpay and guarantee a guy so much money as they are. So now, now that he's making that kind of money, Garrett Cole is no longer the highest paid bomber. No one asked him his thoughts on Judge's new deal, but I am sure that Cole would have waxed on effusively if they did. Um, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know if, uh, I don't know quite, I don't quite know how to answer that, to be honest. Um, I mean, where's Kirsty? There are customs and practices that have been passed down from you older players to younger players, from the last generation of players to this generation of players. And, um, you know, I, I think, uh, I think there are some things that are certainly out Global of bounds in that warming. regard. And, and uh, I've stood pretty, stood pretty firm in, in terms of that, uh, in terms of the communication between our peers and whatnot. Um, U.S. Americans. You know, and, and I, again, hey, like way I to go, earlier, Winston Churchill. Garrett Cole, orator of a lifetime. They should get this guy a bust in Monument Park for his oratory skills. But you know what's interesting? The dude who really deserves a shout-out is that fan who caught Judge's 60th home run ball this year. Remember that guy? The guy who had the lottery ticket snagged right out of the air and then handed it right back to Judge. Remember that guy. Because unlike the Yankees themselves, Yankees superfan Michael Kessler was willing to do whatever it took to keep Aaron Judge in the pinstripes. If you may, Aaron Judge, what would you say to him? I don't know. I'd just try anything to come back next year, help the heart and soul of the ball club. Do, wait, wait. Before you go, do you have any expectations about catching the ball and receiving something in return? Um, no, just wanted to. Give him, give him back his history. So, any way I could give back to Judge, give him so much to the organization, just do my part. My man Zikafus cannot believe what a super fan Kessler is. I'm actually still conflicted about this dude, honestly. He's either the greatest dude ever or the dumbest dude ever. This message is sponsored by Discover. Did you know that you could reduce the number of unwanted calls and emails with online privacy protection, the latest innovation from Discover? Discover will help regularly remove your personal info, like your name and address, from 10 popular people search websites that could sell your data, and they will do it for free. Activate in the Discover app. See terms and learn more at discover.com slash online privacy protection. Like, I want to hype this guy so badly. But the urge to clown him is way stronger. I mean, the cat was holding seven figures in his hand and just gave it back. Like, didn't have somebody mug him and rip it out of his hand. Willfully gave it back. 
But somehow that dude gets how important Judge is even more so than the Yankees do. Can't take that away from that guy. He seems to understand better than Cashman or Hal Steinbrenner or anybody else in that organization. Frankly, they ought to give Kessler a job. Anyway, I could give back to Judge. That dude may have just thrown away a seven-figure lottery ticket, but he never would have been stupid enough to let Aaron Judge walk while the Yankees damn near did it themselves. Again, they're really lucky that Aaron Judge is as good of a dude as he is, as good of a leader as he is, as good of a Yankee as he is. And that he did not go arson Judge on Cashman and the organization and light them on fire. Once again, I got to give it to him. I have never seen a dude cash as big of a bet on himself as Aaron Judge just did. Nor have I seen a team play themselves as badly as the Yankees just did. So, props to Judge and no credit to the Yankees for doing what they had to do and not doing what they should have done so much sooner. Oh, Frisco fan. Hey, Frisco fan. Hey, hey, Mikey. Hey, Frisco fan. Oh, so close. Hey, Frisco fan. Hey, Frisco fan. This close to reliving the Barry Bonds days, brah, minus the roids and the cloud hovering over your head. You were this close to having arson in the middle of your lineup, dude. Hey, Frisco fan, back to the drawing board. When the next available 60-plus home run masher comes clear and hits the market, I'm sure he's all yours, Frisco fan. Hey, Frisco fan. Sorry about that. So close. Hey, Frisco fan. No tweets from left eye from the grave saying that Arson Judge is her kind of guy. Oh, hey, Frisco fan, you thought you had this dude, didn't you, when you saw that tweet that arson was coming? You should have known then, Frisco fan, that it wasn't real. Arson's not going anywhere. Oh, hey, Frisco fan, you still have a classy organization. You just don't have arson. Oh. You too, Padre fan. Hey, Jim Rome here. Have you ever experienced the flavor of actual live fire cooking? We're not talking about a fire pit in the backyard. This is about the big green egg, the ultimate cooking experience. An egg is the most versatile grill you're ever going to own. You can grill, roast, smoke, sear, and even bake. I'm not kidding. Try a pizza on the egg. It'll amaze you. Stop wasting money on grills that you have to replace every few years. We've all been there. We've done that. Forget the pellets and the knockoffs too. Listen to me. Roll with an authentic big green egg. It's a ceramic marvel backed by a lifetime warranty. It's simple to light, easy to use, and it works without a power source, so there's no need to plug anything in. And with the playoffs and the holidays approaching, you cannot beat a smoked turkey on an egg. It also makes an amazing gift, and they have two models that are perfect for tailgating. The best part is you can have it delivered to your house for free from a local dealer in your community. That's right. Shop online at BigGreenEgg.com. Have it delivered to your house for free. That's BigGreenEgg.com, and you will thank me later. 
We are joined right now by Scott Satterfield. Scott, great to have you back. How are you? I'm doing great. How you doing? Good, good. So I would good. imagine if I were to say to you, what's the last week or so been like, you would say a whirlwind. Let me ask you this. I would imagine leaving Louisville might not have been the easiest decision to make. Ultimately, what did that come down to, and what made the opportunity to join Cincinnati so appealing to you? Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, difficult time there, you know, in the, in the decision-making there. But I just thought Cincinnati was a, a number one. I mean, there's a, there's a ton of great things about it. The tradition here, the, the winning program, um, you know, the administration is, is, is unbelievable to, from our president to our athletic director. Um, you know, a tremendous following here in the city of Cincinnati. Um, there's so many great things about it. And, um, you know, this program here is 12 bowls in the last 15 years, seven conference championships. I mean, the investment here is going to be incredible. Uh, we're getting ready to spend over $100 million on, you know, new facilities, indoor, football building, um, all the things. So, this program is fully invested, and, and, you know, we're making a transition into the Big 12 Conference. There's, there's, there's so many positives, and, um, you know, I'm just honored to be, um, to be their head football coach. Scott Satterfield joining us right now. You know what's kind of interesting is I think fans that are close to it know this, but back in 2016, Luke Fickle just did beat you out for that job. I'm wondering, like, have you always had that in the back of your mind that did you ever think, you know, maybe ultimately I could still end up there someday? Well, you you never know, but I did. You know, once once that happened, you know, you, you're starting to to look at it a lot more closely. And and, and you know, Coach Fickle did an unbelievable job here. Um, tremendous amount of respect for him, and uh, you know, and what he was able to accomplish. So since that point in time, I've always followed him. Um, and you know what? And they've won a ton of football games. It, it's a it's a, the winning tradition here is is like no other. Um, and and you know, and I, that's what I want to be a part of. You know, it's it's totally different situation compared to four years ago, um, coming into this situation, uh, they, they're, they're used to winning. They expect to win, and um, it's in the DNA. And so, you know, that, that that's part of the reason uh, that you want to be a part of something like this, and I'm excited about it. Right, Scott. I was going to ask you about that situation because you're right, it's so different. For instance, when you took over at Louisville, they were coming off a two-win season, which you improved to eight wins in year one. Different dynamic, of course, now. The Bearcats had nine wins this year under Luke Fickle. They made history last season as the first group of five program to reach the college football playoff. So how do you go? And as you mentioned, you've got a lot of support and a lot of resources, but how do you go about building on that great success that they're already having? Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we have to get out and recruit. I mean, we have to continue to bring in, you know, some great players, and that starts right here in the city of Cincinnati. I mean, this high school football is some of the best in the country. And so, you know, we're going to start right here in our backyard, um, try to lock down these guys that can play to come help us and play, you know, in front of their home hometown. Um, I think it starts right there. Um, you know, getting a, a staff in here that are going to build these guys up, you know, continue to hold them accountable but also love on them and serve them um, and, and make them, you know, want to be a part of a, a great program. You know, we're in, a, we're in a different landscape of college football right now uh, that just changed over the last couple of years, NIL, transfer portal. Um, you know, and the way we treat our players and the way we, we handle them, you know, they'll want to stay here and they'll want to be a part of this. And I think that's, that's a huge responsibility for us. Um, and, and I'm excited about that, and this is a great place that we can get that done. I think that's so interesting and so important what you just said. Scott Satterfield, my guest, it, it is so crucial right now with the portal. Check this number out, Scott. I saw this. I find this really interesting. That of the 13,000 players on the FBS level, reportedly 1,000 of them have entered the portal. So how do you personally balance interest in players that are available in the portal versus traditional recruiting of high school players? How will you approach that? Yeah, you know, we're all trying to figure that out and, and, and trying to get a, a good number. I, I really believe you have to you build your team with high school football players. You know, we're going to continue to do that. 
Um, and, and again, we got, we got some great players right here in our backyard that we have to go get and want to be a part of this. I, I think, um, you know, in, in a perfect world, you know, you can get most of your players from the high school ranks and continue to develop them and bring them in and play. But also, you got to go into portal. It, it's part of the it's part of the landscape now, and so we have to go find players in that portal that fit what we want, the kind of players that, that have integrity, that have character, but also are really good football players with experience. And so, where where you do have a few deficiencies on the roster, that's where we'll we'll hit the portal and try to bring in some guys to to sure up those position groups. But but I certainly think you're going to have to do both. Um, but we want to lean on more of the high school player because I, I just think that, that you're going to have them for more long-term, um, you know, and, and, and hopefully they're experienced here that they'll want to be here and finish out their career. Cincinnati head football coach Scott Satterfield joining us. So, Scott, obviously early signing day is fast approaching. It's got to be a really hectic time. How are you approaching the challenge of both building out that staff and recruiting simultaneously? Yeah, it, it's well, I haven't slept much. I think it starts right there. It's been uh, – you know, we've been wide open, um, you know, from, from when the sun comes up till late at night. And, um, you know, we're, we started with our the commitment list that, that's been here at Cincinnati. I called all of them the first time, first night I was here. Um, we're going to have a big weekend this weekend, um, you know, uh, bring on campus to meet meet myself and, and a couple of staff members. Um, you know, we're, we're looking at the portal. I mean, we're, we're, we're calling guys in the portal that we think can come in and help us as well. Um, and then, you know, also the relationships that we had, you know, from Louisville that we had, we were recruiting. Um, we got a lot of good players that were, were you know, sealed to go there. But, um, you know, now with this change, then we're going to see if we can, you know, get some guys over here. So we'll hopefully hopefully host a few of those guys. So you got to look at all avenues right now. Um, we're, again, looking for the right type player, the right person that's got the right stuff inside of them, but they can also play. And, um, you know, and I think, you know, that's what we've been doing. We haven't stopped, and we're going to continue that. You know, December 21st is going to be approaching very fast. Right. And, Scott, what a weird coincidence, right? Louisville and Cincinnati playing in the Fenway Bowl on December 17th. You're not going to coach that game because you're doing, well, what we're talking about. You're going to recruit. You're going to build your staff. But if that weren't bizarre enough, of course, you've got both benches on the same sideline. I mean, how does that work? Could you even go to that game even if you had the time or wanted to? No, I, I, I don't think so. Um, you know, it, it's, you know, I, I put my heart and soul in that program for four years and, and really, you know, love on those players and, and wish them nothing but the best. But now my heart is here. My heart is at Cincinnati. And so, you know, I'm going to pour everything I have into this, these players and this, this football team. You know, it's such a unique situation. And I talked to, um, you know, our athletic director, and I was like, I'm not, I'm not touching that game. I'm not going to be anywhere near it. Um, you know, I'm not, only thing I'm doing is building out a staff and recruiting. And, and, you know, this is, you know, the way college football is now, these, these changes happen this time of year. And it's just so unique that we happen to be playing each other. Um, you know, you can't, you can't make this up, you know, and, uh, so all our focus is going to be on, on, on the future, um, and, and future football here at Cincinnati. You know, you talk about compiling that staff or building that staff. How big a priority is a strength coach? And have you identified that individual? Yeah, that's that's the number one hire. Uh, we we got to get an outstanding individual. That's because you know obviously everybody knows um, they, they're around our players each and every day. Um, not only are they building them up physically, but they're also mentally, and um, you know, so that is that is critical. We have several names in mind um, that we're going to bring in um, starting today. I'm starting to talk to talk to guys and bringing some guys in, and and hopefully we'll have someone in place here over the next week. I think that that is the most critical hire that I have. Um, you know, and, and bring someone in here with high integrity that, that again, is going to pour into our guys, but also going to develop them uh, physically and mentally. And, uh, you know, we're going to get a great one, one of the best in the country. Scott, one last thing. You mentioned the move to the Big 12. That's going to happen in July. It creates new opportunities, of course, for the entire university, along with 
you know, more challenging opponents in football, you've made similar types of transitions before. How do you view this transition to a Power 5 conference, and how do you approach it? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very unique, too. Um, you know, heading to the Big 12, which is in transition as well with Oklahoma and Texas that, that will be leaving. Um, you know, and, and so, you know, it, it is. It's going to be a lot more competition week in and week out. You know, the venues that we'll be traveling to and playing in are, you know, obviously outstanding. And, and to be able to host some of those teams here is going to be incredible um, in our state. And what, a, what an unbelievable atmosphere that we have here. Um, you know, so, again, it comes down to, you know, getting the kind of players that we need to get to compete and, and the right ones. And, and that's going to start with getting a great staff and then, and then selling that, our program to those recruits. Um, we, we know it's going to be a difficult situation. I mean, we don't even know who we're playing yet in the, in the conference. And, you know, but we do know um, the kind of players we need to get to be able to compete at a high level. We just watched TCU and Kansas State. Of course, Kansas State ends up winning it. There's a tremendous amount of parity in that league. Um, you know, from top to bottom, and you know it's going to be highly competitive. And so we got to we got to have the top top players to be able to go in there and compete to try to compete for championships because that's what we're all about. Hey, listen, one last thought, Scott. You've been really good with your time. We've covered a lot of ground, but the changes to the sport have been so dramatic in recent years, from NIL to the portal to conference realignment. Do you feel good about the overall direction of the sport, or maybe do you have concerns and do you just lean in and embrace it because, frankly, you really have no choice? Well. Frankly, we don't have any choice, so we do have to embrace it, you know. But I, I do have concerns as well, um, you know, especially as we look at the landscape of the NIL, which I'm all for, and I, I believe we need to be able to compensate our student athletes with, you know, that, that do so much for these universities. I, I think that is outstanding that we're able to do that. I think the issue comes in the transfer. I think when, when we're able to transfer from one school to the next um, each semester, um, you know, if, if, a, if a guy gets uh, disgruntled and wants to leave, he's all of a sudden he's out of there. Um, you know, or, and here's what's happening, is guys are getting enticed on other campuses about opportunities to come right now, and we're going to, you know, we're going to compensate you through NIL. And, you know, guys are getting recruited right off the campus. Uh, we have to do something about that. We have to be able to enforce that. I think that's the major problem. Um, so, yes, there's a lot of things we're going to have to clean up when it regards to NIL and, and transfer. Um, and I think across the board in college football, everybody knows that, and we need some leadership to, to step up to, to make that happen. You can only imagine what the last 48 hours or so have been like, Scott. Really appreciate that. The new head football coach at Cincinnati is Scott Satterfield. Scott, great to have you back. Thank you so much. Enjoy the conversation as always. Yeah, really appreciate you having me on, Jim. Go Bearcats. Clones, what do we want when we're craving protein or we need more energy? Not bars, not sugary snacks, not energy drinks. No, we want beef, pure and simple. So where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper beef jerky. Old Trapper is not your father's jerky, shriveled, dry, and tasteless. Old Trapper beef jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. So it's tender and it's tasty. It's not tough. And why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for their relentless commitment to quality. They take smoked beef extremely seriously, and you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein, and it comes in four amazing flavors that satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest that goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. That way you can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? So I hate to say it, but again, I'm not sure who has fallen farther, faster, harder. Baker Mayfield or the Rams? Why don't we start with the Rams? Just removed from a Super Bowl title 
are now playing out of string already. I mean, how far have they fallen? Far enough that they were actually in position to claim this guy. That's how far. Or is Baker himself the guy who's fallen even further given that he was just released by the lowly Carolina Panthers? So who looks worse? The team that won the Super Bowl or the former number one pick overall who was just claimed by the team that won the Super Bowl? Who looks worse? The answer is, as always, yes. Tie for last. These are desperate times for both. The Rams are already dead in the water. But they do need to actually finish out the season and actually play the rest of the games on their schedule. Something that would be damn near impossible given who they currently have under center. Backup John Wolford, who's jacked up physically. Or third stringer Bryce Perkins, whoever the hell that is. I know who he is, but for effect. So the Rams desperately need somebody who is at least serviceable under center so they don't look like they're treating the rest of the regular season like it's the exhibition season, which is exactly how it's going to look anyway. And good luck to Baker. Good luck to Baker, who's got to spend the rest of the year behind that ass offensive line without any of those weapons. All while hoping not to get the holy crap beat out of him, while at the same time getting something positive to put on film so he can audition for his next team. And incredibly, as bad as he thought that situation was in Carolina, because he did ask out, as bad as he thought that situation was in Carolina, he probably had more to work with there than he will in Los Angeles. That was probably a better situation there than it is here in L.A. Yes, I said it. He had more weapons there than he's going to have here. No Cooper Cup, no Allen Robinson, and the Panthers technically are not dead. The Rams are. The Panthers technically are not dead because they play in one of the worst divisions ever. The Rams are already DOA. And the fact of the matter is, Baker and his career are now both on life support as well. I mean, make no mistake about this. And yes, I've always had this guy's back, but make no mistake. Now that the team that drafted him first overall has already given up on him, and then the team that brought him in has given up on him, this dude's career now is actually hanging in the balance. The fact that he could not keep the starting job in Carolina means his career is hanging in the balance. The fact that they preferred Sam Darnold over him says everything you need to know about not only what Carolina thought of Baker, but probably the rest of the league as well. Because reportedly, the Rams were the only ones that had any interest in Baker, which is incredible. And the only reason they do is they are as desperate as he is. So that means that this dude is not nearly what he used to be. He's not. And he's this close to carrying a clipboard Permanently going forward. So what we have here then is this crazy marriage, right? A marriage of desperation. A marriage of a busted up defending world champion and a jacked up former number one overall, both circling the drain and both desperately needing one another. It's hard to argue how this is going to end well for either. And if Baker had asked for his release thinking that he would just go to the Niners after seeing Jimmy G go down. He obviously thinks a hell of a lot more of himself than the 49ers do. 
certainly more than Richard Sherman, who made it pretty clear on this show earlier this week what he thought of Baker when I asked him if the 49ers should bring him in. If you're the 49ers, do you bring him in, and would he be a better option than Purdy? No. No, you do not. You do not. You do not. You do not. You do not bring him in. Um, I don't. I do not believe in Baker Mayfield. I, you know, I, I, I get sick of these guys, these first round top picks getting opportunity after opportunity, regardless of how bad they play. So when it goes, it goes fast. And while Baker did play well early in his time with the Browns, he did. He led them to their first playoff win in forever. He seems now like a shell of that dude, mentally and physically. Like I've always liked Baker. And given what he had overcome and that gigantic boulder on his shoulder that he would carry onto the field every single time he played, for me, for me, he was a pretty easy guy to get with. But now it's hard for me to argue that he hasn't already played the best ball of his career, that his best ball is behind him. I like him. I hope I'm wrong. But he's not presenting any evidence to the contrary, right? And it's going to be hard as hell to make that argument in L.A. behind that offensive line where he's got almost no weapons to work with at all. Like I said, it's hard to imagine this ending well for either side. Now, he does have Sean McVay on his side. That's a good thing. Sean McVay is known for coaching up quarterbacks. Maybe McVay can work some magic here. There was a time when everything Sean touched turned to gold. It was not that long ago that this guy was on top of the world clowning other teams' draft picks from a beach house. Really, really? Just went. Oh, my UT Chattanooga to the first how round. Hey, how about that? And we wasted our time watching him thinking he'd be at 104 hey. maybe. <laughs> See what I mean? Like these guys just clowning and laughing and mocking other draft picks. The epitome of F them picks. But they could, you know, sit on top of the world. Won the Super Bowl in their $5 billion stadium. Everything was amazing. And now look at them. Slumming. Man, life comes at you hard and fast. And when it goes, it goes fast. And all of a sudden, now the Rams are with Baker Mayfield. And they're both desperate and they need each other. So we'll see how that plays out. I'm talking with Jay Woods of OmegaTaxCredits.com, who is describing the businesses that have benefited from a tax refund via the Employee Retention Credit, the ERC through the IRS. What kind of companies have come through as a result of hearing me talk about this message on the air? Can you give me some examples? We have a uh, Best Pizza. It's in Brooklyn, New York, 12 employees. We were able to qualify them for $56,000. We were able to gap another $56,000 for them, and they were ecstatic. We had a medical professional company in San Diego with 250 employees get $3.5 million. Their workforce was deemed non-essential by the government. And so they had a huge revenue decrease and that's how they qualified. And they they are one of the groups that really maximized this credit. We've got a group in Kansas that's also an employment agency. They've got 72 employees. We able to get them $167,000. And that's just three of the companies that OmegaTaxCredits.com has helped. There is time still for you to apply and determine if your small business qualifies for a tax refund like this. You've weathered the pandemic and the economy. So see if you qualify. Omega Tax taxcredits.com. Jeff Munkin is my guest. He joins us once again. Jeff, good to have you on the show. How are you? 
I'm great. Thanks for having me on. So good to have you on. So Army v. Navy, there really is nothing quite like it. What's it mean to you to personally be a part of this and to be able to participate in one of the great, great rivalries in all of sport? It is an honor and a privilege to be able to take that field with those competitors and and, uh, and just be a part of that game. It's an incredible game. The intensity and the the, the focus that each of those guys has going in that game is 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 unlike any other football game I've been a part of. And to be able to represent the men and women that serve in our Army is, is truly the, the greatest honor, to wear that same uniform and to know that we've got men and women around the world that are that are staring the enemy in the face at that moment, and, and we get to go out there and represent them in the biggest game on the biggest stage is awesome. You know, in fact, Jeff, I would take it one step further. I've heard you talk about it being the greatest rivalry in sports. Like, how so? What makes it different and arguably better than any other rivalry in sport? Every player on that field and all of the young men and women who are a part of those student bodies that are up there in the stands cheering them on, every, every one of those young men and women have taken a pledge to serve our nation. And they are, they are ultimately uh, making a pledge that may put their lives on the line to defend the freedoms of the rest of us. And so that to have a game like that where the 22 players on the field are willing to give everything for everybody else that's watching, um, that's, that's truly unique, and, and that makes it a rivalry like no other. Extremely well said. Jeff Monkins, the head coach of Army, he joins us right now. Army-Navy is Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern on CBS. Now, so take me back, if you would. When you coached your first Army-Navy game in 2014, were you fully prepared for the magnitude of the moment, or is there really no way to prepare for it without actually being right in the middle of it? I had been on the other sideline for, for six of those games as an assistant for Paul Johnson, you might remember. And, sure. and uh, as I tell people, that's the only blemish on my resume working at that other school. I'm, I'm on the right side of the rivalry now and glad to be here. Hmm. Uh, but uh, but it, 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 is, it is just an incredible game. And so I knew the, the, uh, the intensity of the rivalry in the game. When I, when I, when I walked out of the locker room and onto the field – in 2014, it had been, I guess, six years since I had coached in one of those games. And I said to the person long, walking alongside me, I said, gosh, I forgot what this felt like. And there's just an electricity in the air that's different. And, and, uh, it, and it's, it, it doesn't start when a game starts. It starts that day. And, and so uh, just awesome to be a part of it. Obviously, in 2014, we, we didn't win. It took us a couple of years to get – a victory over them, and, and that was a real thrill to be able to do that. You know, Jeff, I wonder, is the matchup itself unique enough that virtually nothing that has happened prior to this game, the entire season for that matter, really matters as it relates to this game? In fact, can you essentially throw all of that out the window, and does the game almost literally stand on its own as almost a season onto itself, or am I reaching a little bit? No, it is. It is a... It's a game all by itself, and um, there, there are other factors that are involved in it. Obviously, if guys are injured and things like that, but uh, it, that, that affects any game. What is different in this game is just the, the intense desire to win and the emotion that goes along with this game and how it can both positively and negatively affect the performance of the of the competitors so 
it is it is really unique and to be out there and to be on the sideline and and just see that whole thing unfold it's 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 incredible it feels like the game is hanging in the balance on every single play i mean from the opening kickoff every play it feels like the game's on the line and and i i don't know if i ever feel an intensity like that in any other game Army Navy Saturday, 3 p.m. Eastern on CBS. You know, if we circle back, Jeff, can you talk for a minute about Branch Night? For those who do not know, what is Branch Night, and what's it like to see the players get ready for what's going to be the next phase of their lives when they find out where they're going to lead and serve and represent this country? So Branch Night, <clears throat> pardon me, is the night where all of our our cadets, our senior cadets, graduating find out what branch of the army they're going to be in. And so there there's a there's a system for them to choose, which is really fantastic. They they there are 17 different branches in the army and literally hundreds of different jobs that they might get in their first job out of West Point. But they get to choose and there's a there's a a system where you have know, my first choice and my second choice and my third choice and so they're all hoping for their first choice, and frankly, most of them get their first choice. But it's just the excitement um, of, of, of finding out, yes, this is what I'm going to be doing in my first job in the Army and, and when I graduate. And, and it's such a thrill to watch them open those envelopes and, and jump up and down and hug each other. And, and uh, it, it's, it's a great, great night for them and a, and a moment in their lives and in their career here at West Point that's, that's going to be memorable for a long time. So uh, that just took place last week, and all of our players found out, and I, I, they are really excited about their opportunities to serve and to, to be in the Army and, and getting the jobs that they all wanted. And so it was a lot of fun last week. Wow. So in terms of the matchup this year, you know what you're going to get from Navy in the sense that they're going to try and grind you down with that triple option attack. We know this. What else stands out about the midshipmen this season as you've been watching film and getting your team ready? I think they've improved as the season's gone along. I think they're playing their best football right now. Um, and and uh, and I just noticed that as we, we watched them week in and week out and, and watched – every film that we've got of them from this year, and they just seem to be playing their best right now. Um, their, their defense is playing outstanding, particularly against the run, which obviously that's, you know, that's uh, going to be a big challenge for us. We want to run the ball, and they're really good at stopping a run. So uh, I think they, they play really hard, and they do a great job coaching their guys. And so um, that, that there is a, that there's something that happens in this game and you talk about this being a, a season all to its own. Uh, there, there are just guys in this game, and and sometimes teams. You know, one team just plays really, really well, better than they have all year in this game. And and I hope that'll be us. I hope our team will play better than we have all year, and then we'll have some guys that'll step up and play their best games of the year. Jeff Monkin joining us for another moment or so. You know, I had your All American linebacker Andre Carter the second on the program. Back in October, really enjoyed that conversation, and he has a chance to be Army's first first-round pick since 1947. I'm curious, what's he like to coach, and what has he meant to the program? He is an extremely humble guy. Um, I, I can't say enough for that. He's not a he's not a, a guy that talks. He's not a guy that that uh, 
has this expectation that the defense is going to be built around him. Uh, just very humble. He wants to do his job and help his teammates win. And and he, he is, he's a technician, works really hard at his craft, works hard at the fundamentals, and he studies more film and spends more time outside of meeting time and, and practice time studying and trying to improve as a player more than more than anybody on our team. And uh, so wants to be really good and is very talented. And, and uh, so I'm glad we got him on our team. I wish we, wish we could sign him to a new contract and keep him around here for a while. You bet. You bet. One last thought, and you could talk about any number of your guys, but what about your quarterback, Tyra Tyler? I think he worked through some academic challenges early on. He was a member of the scout team. What's it say about his resolve and his fortitude that he has become the playmaker and leader that he has for you? He has got a, a spirit and an energy about him that is is really incredible, and it's infectious. Um, as he was going through those those challenges, he, he his his spirit and attitude never wavered. He was always really positive and just embraced it as as his role and his opportunity to help our team. And he did. Um, it's just been great to see him really come back around and, and have the kind of career that he has and make such an impact on the field like he like he has for us. This truly is goosebump stuff. It's Army-Navy. The annual game is Saturday, 3 p.m. Eastern on CBS. Hence the helmet right here on my desk. The head coach at Army is Jeff Munkin. He's joining us once again. Jeff, thank you so much. Really great to have this conversation with you. Can't wait to see the game, and thank you very much. Good luck to you. Oh, thanks a lot. Appreciate the opportunity. Beat Navy. So it's been a hell of a week for you, Niner fan. You smoked the Dolphins, but you lost Jimmy G, which was brutal. Great win, brutal day. But then you also gained a Mr. Irrelevant, the most relevant Mr. Irrelevant ever, a.k.a. Mr. Brock Purdy. I want to reiterate this. No Mr. Irrelevant in NFL history had ever completed a pass in a game until Brock Purdy. And he completed 25 for 210 and two tutties on Sunday, which made Niner fan feel a hell of a lot better after Jimmy G went down. Didn't make everything right, but made you feel better. That was a really good win. Really good win. But they lost the day when they lost Jimmy G. Then this tweet from Adam Schefter yesterday had to make Niner fan feel a little bit better. Schefter tweeted, quote, sources... Doctors concluded today that 49ers QB Jimmy Garoppolo does not need foot surgery. It is not a Liz Frank injury. And if rehab goes smoothly, he could have a chance to return in seven to eight weeks, making him a potential playoff contributor. End of tweet. So Jimmy does not need surgery after all and might be able to make it back for a playoff run. Better than nothing, right? Much better than nothing. But then again, come to find out, so is Brock Purdy. In fact, Mr. Irrelevant is a lot better than nothing. So much better that the Niners did follow Sherm's advice and didn't even kick the tires on Baker Mayfield. Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch apparently had the same answer as Sherm on whether or not they should consider adding Baker to this team. No, no, you do not. You do not. You do not. You do not. You do not bring him in. No. No, you do not. You do not. 
You do not. You All do right, not. so. You do not bring him in. Mr. No. Irrelevant is so much better than nothing that he's already shed that nickname in the locker room. Keep in mind, when you're the last player selected and the handle you get is Mr. Irrelevant, you never shake that. That sticks with you forever. You might as well tattoo that right on your forehead or five head or a ten head. Just You can't shake that. You can't shake that. You would have to do something so dramatic or something so significant. You cannot shake that. However, this guy apparently already has in favor of a much better nickname. Now, before I drop this hammer on you, before I risk my job, my good name, my paycheck, before I drop that on you, because as I point out, we are on in the middle of the day, broad daylight, CBS. Before I drop that hammer on you, here are some hints. By the way, that was already a hint. Here's another one. Kyle Shanahan's post-game reaction to Purdy's solid debut on Sunday was this. Um, Brock came in and made some big plays. Um, he's got some balls out there. Forgive me for saying it that way. Apology not accepted. You see where I might be headed with this. Here is another hint. I do not want to be going down this road. But the thing is, number one, the Niners are forcing me down this road. Number two, it's my job to push the envelope. Keep it dangerous. Number three, the Niners are forcing me down this road because George Kittle also jumped in and shared his thoughts with the media. Quote, He's got some cojones to him. Cojones. Not cojones, just regular cojones. Cojones. Debo Samuel jumped in. Quote, oh, he definitely has balls. It takes nuts to call a timeout without Kyle calling it. That, That does, too, by the way. So already... You've heard the description coming from no less an authority than Kyle himself, Lobster Jr. Debo is in. George is in. And they're using descriptions such as cojones, balls, and nuts. Somehow this dude's junk has been pretty much the main topic of conversation in the Bay Area this week. And it's also the main inspiration... For Brock's brand new nickname. Until about five minutes ago, Brock was known as Mr. Irrelevant. Not anymore. Based on what I'm leading up to, you might have an inkling as to what that nickname might be. I know James in Portland knows. Jimmy, my man. Have you heard about Brock Purdy? Yeah, and Alvy, you know. Anyway, Brock's got a brand new nickname, and it's a nickname that rhymes. There's your last hint. And your last chance to change the station because I'm about to say it. And it's coming to you.
in three. You have a problem? Turn off your station. I'm going to say it. You've been warned. Coming in three, two, and one. It being Brock Purdy's alleged new nickname in the Niners locker room is... I I can't believe I'm going to go there. Brock Purdy's new nickname is... Yeah, right. Because I'm going to say that. Come on, man. I'm not going to say big blank Brock. Just know that the blank rhymes with Brock. I'm not even going to give you the initials. I'm just going to roll with the short version going forward. Busy me. No more Mr. Irrelevant for this guy. That is the most awkward quarterback nickname since B.D. Nick. But way more impressive. I mean, Foles had to win a miracle Super Bowl for that nickname. Or frankly, maybe he didn't from what the rumor is or the legend is. But who cares? Whatever. Oh, there's James Kelly. Quote, save it for the podcast. Bro, I wouldn't even go there with it, to be honest with you. That's how graphic that nickname is. And I've said a lot of graphic things on that podcast. Even I can't go there. The chicken man. Maybe the chicken man can. Anyway, what you got here is this dude's got a brand new nickname. And apparently he's got the Niners season in his hands. That's how much they love this guy, that they dropped that nickname on him. And a bunch of Niners would probably rush in to tell me that homeboy's got a huge set of hands. That's not the point. The point is he called timeout without his head coach's permission. I'm just going to go with that. Anyway, two bits of good news. You lost out on Aaron Judge. Frisco fan. Hey, Frisco but, fan. But Frisco fan, Jimmy G doesn't need surgery. Very good news. And apparently Brock, Brock's junk is brass. Also good news. Yo, there's a word for that, isn't there, Alvy? Boyong. So, the Jimmy news is good news. In the meantime, they're going to... Ride with Brock, which apparently also is enormous news. So it's not all bad, Frisco. You see? You see, I'm not rushing in to pile on. I'm sharing some good news, some positive updates. Yo, dude. I gotta go hit some swells. No, no, not like that, Avi. Dude, you're putting me in a bad light. Swells, man. Waves. Waves, dude. Rincon. Swells. Broad beach, dude, where the rich people live. All right, so when we come back, I like that. The Niners. The Niners were coming so fast, so hard. They were coming, man. They were. And then they lost Jimmy G. But maybe they didn't. I just hit the cough button. It's not It's not easy to do Mike in San Diego for an entire program. The Lions are favored over the Vikings. That's incredible. And can I tell you, if you, if you follow these things closely like I do, 
it has never been tougher to win because there's never been greater stakes and more money involved. So believe me, that's not some kind of weird anomaly. If they're favored, there's a reason. And part of that is the perception that nobody believes in the Vikings, even at 10-2. and two. Like, what do these guys have to do to get respect? The Lions are favored over the Vikings. James Kelly, I'm still waiting for your explanation for that. Yeah, I'm not... I'm telling you right now, if you're going to tune in tomorrow to Jim Rome's Big Head Bets, waiting for me to let loose and say what that nickname is, it's not happening. I won't. That moron Kelly will. And then I will have to find another illiterate, big-headed co-host. Don't do it, James. Dude, I know this guy's trying to spin his clock faster. Well, I'm doing it, boss. I'm doing it, boss. No, I know you think you are, James. Alvin, are you going to allow him? Will you allow him to do it? Good night, Nine.